Morning, Miss Evelyn. Good morning, Joe B. How are you today? Excellent. What's up most in your mind today? My yard. <laughs> you want more? <laughs> My yard has some, we've been trying to grow some grass, and um, I, I hate to say this, but it's not going too good. And so I need to go out and do a little uh, spot planting and clean up the backyard a little bit. You know, in Illinois, whenever you were growing things, what did you put on it? Uh, I used a lot of Roundup to kill stuff. <laughs> in Illinois, yes. My mother was known as the Roundup Queen because she uh, mixed her own Roundup from Concentrate. And um, I would imagine if it ever touched her hand, it would have eaten it off. And she would go around in her little golf cart and um, everyone would laugh that it was so strong that in the next day or two, you would see all these brown bear and you would make the comment that uh, the round-off lady had been out spraying again. Didn't they rule that dangerous? Oh, yeah. It's supposed to cause really bad cancer. Always worried about that because mom would do it, like you say, on the golf cart, and she'd do it, like, against the wind, and it would blow on her. And uh, But worse than that was uh, my son Kelly on the farm. I met. he has been dealing in that stuff since he was nine years old, if Anyone should have some kind of respiratory cancer or something wrong. It should have been him, I would think. Well, do you think it shortened Betty's life? You know, she could have hit 101, maybe 102. Nothing shortened her life but her. <laughs> yes, uh, Evelyn's mother, Betty, lived to be 100 and, uh, 111 days. Yep, 111 days, exactly. So Roundup was not a problem in her life. No, it probably just kept the weeds and the trash out of her life, and she just kept growing and living. Roy Up was her problem. Who? Roy Up. Oh, Roy, Roy Fawn? Yeah. yeah. Roy Up, yes. In Illinois, we used to use uh, animal manure for fertilizer. The cow manure was always the best kind of fertilizer. Horse manure, they said, was too hot to put on uh, items to grow, but cow manure was supposed to, and chicken manure was even better. I guess so, but you know, I got thinking when you said that, <clears throat> not the manure part, but the grass part, that um, like in Illinois, I guess in states like that, never in my lifetime in Illinois did I ever plant grass. Grass was just there. Whatever grew up, you just mowed, and that was it, right? Yeah. Do you ever plant grass? No, in fact, uh, I cursed grass because <laughs> we had what they call the water grass, the ragweed-type grass that mm, yeah. was just like uh, trying to, to mow cloth. Uh, they were just like mowing ropes. And, uh, of course, back whenever I started mowing, we had the cylinder push lawnmower. And, of course, the blade never met with the cutter. And uh, so you had to go back and forth, back and forth, cut the grass. So, no, you're right. We didn't. We just mowed what was there. Oh, yeah. And just think of the exercise we've got uh, pushing that, uh, you know, gas mower. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, if you had a two-acre yard, I mean, you were doing some walking there. Now we ride. Mm -hmm. We ride everywhere. We're getting fat and lazy. Yeah. <clears throat> 
But imagine with a propeller lawnmower that didn't have any gas, didn't have any oh. assistance at all. And you never got very far. You know, you sh- you didn't just push it and keep going. You're always pushing it, backing up, pushing it, backing up, pushing it, backing up. So you're going to work in the yard uh, solely by yourself today? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, I have no yard people that come to help me or that happen to live in-house. <laughs> no, which is fine with me because I love it. Well, see, I made a deal with my good Lord and Savior whenever I was a young man. I mowed lawns for money whenever I started about age 12 with Naomi Lynn on South Main Street. I got paid 35 cents an hour, which was a lot of money back then for someone who lived at home. And I ended up progressing up the uh, South Main Street to Dr. Pope and George Powers. I was so excited when George Powers let me ride in a a gasoline-powered lawnmower. Uh, That was the first of that kind that I'd ever seen, much less. Ended up over at Ruby Campbell's uh, and Morris Campbell, who owned the furniture store, came out and bought me to be his stock boy. So once I got out of the Boeing yard, I promised God I would not grow things if he did not sell advertising. And, uh, you know, he never sold an ad. Well, you know, I think I have been mowing yards for probably 70 years, and I never got paid for mowing a yard. Well, you are what is called a yard queen. (laughs) Careful. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. You are a yard queen mm-hmm. because you love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I do. And you're good at it. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful when I get done. Don't yeah. you like to you know, do a project and then stand back and look at it and say, man, that looks really pretty. If it's green, no. <laughs> well, I do. We had the kind of farm that uh, you had to struggle just to take off the uh, farm what grew there. Uh, We picked corn by hand, and uh, we uh, baled hay with a pitchfork and put it on a a hay wagon and put it in a haystack. Did you ever... Did you ever use a haystack? No, so you really didn't bale hay. You just tossed it on a wagon and... Yeah. That's exactly right. I feel so sorry for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you ought to, because we were living in a uh, uh, post-Great Depression, and uh, yes. we struggled. Yes, but it wasn't your livelihood. You went to another job that didn't count on Mother Nature, and Mother Nature is very seldom really kind to a farmer. Well, no, we I wouldn't call ourselves farmers. No. Uh, we <laughs> We lived on a farm so we could grow what we ate. Dad was a coal miner before he uh, entered into politics as coroner and sheriff. And you're right, you uh, came from a actual farm family, and I salute that. Yes, thank you. Then why can't you grow grass? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope Kelly never hears this, and of course he won't listen to this podcast because he probably doesn't listen to any of them. But... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want Kelly to see my green grass that I'd planted, so I've got to get out there today and work on it. Yeah, Joe G. came uh, uh, came by and uh, just looked at it and uh, kind of shook his head like, uh, yeah. "Gee." Yeah, he he's he's the grass king. I mean, he can he can grow some good grass. 
Only one time did he come and see my yard about three years ago, and he said it was so green and so thick. What'd you put on it, Evelyn? And I mean, I had reached my epitome, my peak of... Inefficiency. No, for perfection when he asked me what I put on my yard that made it look so pretty. Horse manure or cow manure? (laughs) I don't deal in manure except yours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's special. That's special. I do appreciate the enemas you give me. And no. <laughs> going to scratch that out. Okay, uh, I want you to pick up your phone there, and I want you to speak into it to spell Hanukkah. And I want to see how Siri spells Hanukkah, because Smokey Robertson on the news this morning, he uh, had to read a note, and it had Hanukkah and spell, so let's see how it's spelled. Well, Siri already knows how to spell it, so she's going to recognize it. But I'll do it. Spell Hanukkah, Siri. And she spells it right. Because when you give it into the information line, like I spoke it then, it's spelled with a H-A-N-U-K-K-A-H. But when it comes back as Hanukkah, it is spelled with a C-H-A-N. They just put a C on it. It's spelled exactly the same way, but they put a little C on it. So you would say the Jewish spelling is C and the English spelling would be H? No. The English is H and the Jewish is C-H. They don't take away anything. They just add the letter C to it. Because it does say, <clears throat> what is Hanukkah? Hanukkah also spelled C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. It only has one K. Anyway, it wasn't that he misspelled it. He just mispronounced it. I don't even know what he called it. It was Jahakahua or... Yeah. It, it didn't even resemble it because I kept thinking, what what celebration is that? I'd never heard of it. I think he called it Chanuka. Chanuka? Yeah. <laughs> well, evidently it's not Jewish. <laughs> yeah, how do you think he felt with them putting that on the newscast so that the uh, world could see it? Well, bad enough to redo it all. We spent the weekend writing letters. Uh, why did we do that? Because we're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> because this year we decided that we had too many on our Christmas list, which is not a bad thing. But it's just, uh, it gets to a point where the family increases <clears throat> along the way, but since we retired, our income doesn't increase along the way with it. So uh, we decided we had to do something, which absolutely kills me and breaks my heart because I do love Christmas time and I love to go all out and go crazy. And uh, this year, um, I guess you could say maybe we're being selfish, Um, but there's some things that we would like to do in order to do those this summer, go visit our family and be with them after all this pandemic and uh, have a good time and have some big outdoor dinners with them that 
we are wanting to save our little stash uh, to travel this mm-hmm. year and go visit them in person, which I hope they understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough time to uh, suddenly be auspicious. and uh, But, uh, you know, I think, I, as you said, it was necessary. I, I think back, you know, my mother, uh, one of the things that she did that was always very meaningful, every once in a while she would just give me a $100 bill. And it would be for no reason, and she'd just pat me on the cheek and tuddle off. And I always wanted to be able to do that. Uh, and you do that. Whenever we have the op- You do that now. Whenever we have the opportunity to give the kids items, we uh, uh, sit down and, and what do we have, 45 people that were so special in our life? Is that the number? And... You know, since we retired, we limited each gift to $25. Well, what can you get, uh, Joey, uh, Kelly, uh, Chelsea for $25, uh, Kim or Sam, John for $25 that would even have any meaning at all? You know, you you can't, it would cost the postage for that. So uh, we did, we sat down and we wrote a personal letter. I think you got a lot more personal than I did and uh, wrote a personal letter to our kids. Yeah, I'm thinking I must be every time I wrote one of them and wondered why I was going on like that. But they, because knowing my kids, they'll look at it and say, oh, Lord, here she goes again. Uh, but uh, I must be going to pass soon <laughs> because uh, uh, it just seemed like something that I had to do. Uh, I think. And as I said in my little note to them, uh, this pandemic has made me realize um, by settling down and not being as active and have more time to think and being away from them. I mean, we don't see them, everyone that often, but it's like getting your car taken away from you. It's not the idea that you want to go someplace in your car. It's the idea that you can't go if you wanted to go. If you had a car, if you wanted to go, you could go. Mm-hmm. Do you understand my crazy? Oh, yeah, you got to have a car in the driveway, and yeah. everything's okay. But take the car away, oh, and yeah. it's just like uh, pulling one of your arms off. Yeah, you're isolated, and that's the way this pandemic is. I mean, we wouldn't go home now. Maybe, perhaps they would come to us, which is wonderful and great. But it just. Uh, Seems like it's been forever, but it has also made me really realize how important my communication is with my kids and everything. And, uh, you know, I don't think we say enough uh, to our children or to our grandchildren, you know, what they mean to us and, and to brag on them and, you know, let them know that they are very special in their own unique way. I think one of the most satisfying things about growing old, or should I say growing up, is that our kids don't absolutely need us now in the sense of food, clothing, and shelter. They are all well-established in their own area of responsibility and we are an add-on for their life. We're certainly not the principals, 
anymore as we once were, but we are an attraction that they can enjoy or ignore. And uh, that's very gratifying because if you were, if we were in a, if I were in a situation that we had little kids around dependent upon us for food, clothing, and shelter, and then you pass, now that is tragedy. But we are well established, and uh, my dear, we can pass unnoticed. Well, okay, I feel all giddy and warm and fuzzy now. (laughs) You just took me up to the mountain and then just pushed me off. (laughs) That was my love language to go, you know, because I did crazy stuff. I gave everybody Christmas stockings with stuff. Got to the point to where they look more forward to the Christmas stockings and it wasn't always a stocking. It could be anything. I meant, you know, one of the best ones was the year that we went and took everyone to Paducah. Their Christmas present was not only to stay in a hotel for nothing, but to go to several meals, you know. And uh, that was just the ideal thing for me would be to go someplace where none of us had any responsibilities and be in a big lodge and maybe be semi-trapped in there by the snow and just spend two or three days, hopefully without, you know, killing each other, and just sitting and talking. And then everybody go home and then let's do it again next year. Do you remember uh, January 1983, Paducah, Kentucky? when we taught Samantha how to swim at uh, three months old? Yes. What's that got to do with anything? Well, you were talking about taking everybody to Paducah for uh, Christmas. I had read an article that said that uh, babies, the sooner you get them in water and swimming, the better it is because they spend nine months in water. And if you can get them to swim very early, so... You were about 15, maybe 20 feet away from me, and I took Samantha and just plumped her underwater and pushed her underwater toward you, and she swam right over to you, and she's been swimming ever since. That's for sure. Notice I (laughs) ignited a great deal of interest in that story uh, with you. Do you remember Machine Gun Kelly? Only uh, in the mobster movies that I saw growing up. You know, Al Capone, Babyface Nelson, you know, Charlie Berger. <laughs> That's the only way I realized that name until I saw it this morning from a rapper. Yeah, young man, Colson Baker, who's become Machine Gun Kelly, and uh, he touched upon childhood and the relationship with his parents and uh, caused a great deal of distress. I'm proud to say that I had fabulous parents as you did. Oh, sure. I had great parents, the best. But it's so fascinating how some of these people had to go through such turmoil. And they all seemed like, I would say not all, of course, but so many of them, that is the background of people who are so famous and who are so talented and God gave them a special talent to help them get through it or something. I don't know what it is. It's always very 
super interesting to me. Yeah, it seems like they're always seeking because he was talking about being on the ledge, and it seems like you have to have pain to have gain, and he was not anything at all with himself until he got on stage, and then he works all that out on stage, but once again, he goes back to the tried and true. He's using therapy now as a way to get by. Yes, and different people's persona, when you get in and see their background, is just so fascinating uh, how they've had to meet these challenges and overcome them and how it's enriched, really, their art. Pull up Anthony Mason on your phone, and uh, I think, uh, if I can remember, I think he started out in uh, politics. I think he was um, an aide to one of the senators or congressmen or something down the line. But he is a music specialist, and he does most of the music (coughs) features on CBS, And uh, as you said this morning, he not only lives it, he loves it. And he knows what he's talking about whenever he talks about these uh, entertainers. What did you find? I just think that um, sometimes they should, and the people that are on there now, I would love to see an in-depth interview on their lives. Uh, Like the uh, David Letterman, he does such a fantastic job of interviewing the people that he had on. I wish that he would come back with a bunch of others. But uh, I think he's on Netflix with uh, My Guest Requires No Introduction. But Anthony Mason, sometimes you can tell um, when he adds a little something. Maybe he's just that thorough with his investigation of something in his interview, but you can always tell when something has a spark with him that he probably really enjoys in real life. Because today he mentioned something about someone was really a great actor, actress, and he added to it and said, oh, said she is a fabulous dancer also. So it makes me feel like that he's really into the arts and uh, everything. And uh, I just think it's interesting to see the background of some people. And I think it really shows you that sometimes we are really fast to judge. Of course we are. We judge somebody what we see on TV or what we see in person in in real life. Uh, But we have no idea what their background is and how they got where they are or what they've gone through. I mean, there may be some people that we look at on TV or we meet in person and we don't really mesh with them. We don't really associate with them or like them. We form an opinion. We don't like them. They seem snooty. But then when you find out what they're really like, I mean, you have this really warm compassion Mm -hmm. for them. Had a boss one time who said, you judge a man by the quality of his wife. And whenever you take Machine Gun Kelly, uh, he did very well for himself with Megan Fox. She was, she is beautiful. Yes, I think they're just a couple right now. I don't think they're married, are they? I'm not sure. Well, the couple has kids. It's a daughter, but I don't think the daughter is from Megan Kelly. You know much more than I do. No, I don't. I'm just... uh, I'm just thinking that. 
Mm. We'll have to check it out and find out. So what do you want for Christmas? Uh, a zero-gravity chair for camping. Because the camping chairs we have are not uh, very good for my uh, not-so-good back. <clears throat> and after I sit in them for a while, I think if they don't have a support in the seat, then my back begins to curve. And after, of course, maybe if I'd get up and walk around, my back wouldn't hurt. Maybe that's the secret. But uh, Todd had one and took it on a camping trip when he went with us um, when you had hurt your leg so he could help us drive. And he had one, and it was so comfortable. It was like, you know, getting into your lazy boy only with more great support. And um, I just remember at one time I just curled up in his zero-gravity chair and pushed it back a little bit. Next thing I know, I was taking a glorious nap. When I asked you that, I thought you'd say faith, hope, and charity for the world, and we get along, and we have more people who believe in Christ, and that we, but you want a chair. <laughs> yes, I told you I'm selfish. Yes, I, I want a chair. Well, what I want is for your grass to grow so I won't have to get out there for any reason. I know you don't. I think it. you're really putting Roundup around the edges of it and everything because you don't want to mow it. <laughs> Okay, so do you want to know what I want? I've asked you several times, but you're the type that always plays these games. So I get tired of the game. So, you know, if you get it, let me know if you don't. Well, you have the uh, tools of the games I want to play. Okay. <laughs> and what do you want, Joe? What do you want, hon? I want a Henry lever action. Now, see, it's so ridiculous. Rifled. I think it's called the government. Yeah, and how much does the government cost? It is a lever action. Mm -hmm. It is a thirty thirty, yeah, a thirty caliber, mm -hmm. thirty thirty caliber, and it's a lever action, and it's like the cowboys. Just every once in a while, I'll say, "There it is, Evelyn. There it is on uh, Bonanza, or there it is on uh, the Rifleman." And uh, so it's a Henry, H-E-N-R-Y, hun, H-E-N-R-Y, mm -hmm. -E 30 30 mm -hmm. lever action, mm -hmm. rifle. Well, you see, that would be like me buying my chair, bringing it at home, and putting it in my favorite closet, and locking it up, and never seeing it again. I meant, you don't shoot a gun. <laughs> You don't, let alone a rifle. You just, you don't, what are you going to do with it? Nothing. You're probably just saving it to give it to one of your sons when you die. <laughs> so you'll have something to leave them. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, if it was a $20 gun, but it's more like a Teddy Roosevelt, what was it, a pistol, silver-handled pistol that went from, you know, Five hundred thousand dollars, and they finally sold it for what was it? One million two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Yeah. Do you think the person that even bought that's just gonna put it in a safe and lock it up? I guess they would, though, <laughs> for that much money. That is a irony of gun ownership, because most of the guns owned are, let's say, of the guns I've got. Uh, I don't. I cannot remember the last time I actually fired one of them. It's just the idea 
that you got it for me, darling. <laughs> no, I didn't get it for you. <laughs> no, let's just forget this. No, I'll take back my little $50 chair. What if I got a used one? It's probably be more expensive than the new one because it has some sort of, you know, really interesting history. But you came from a family of guns. I would not say I came from a family of guns. My dad had my grandfather's little bitty tiny <laughs> little antique like looking pistol and I'm not even sure. I guess he had a revolver of some sort. Uh, and a hunter hunting gun. That's all. My dad had maybe three guns. Okay, but he had guns. Well, everybody in that time had guns. Yeah. We were shooting people and <laughs> coyotes and, you know, <clears throat> everything. Now, my son, yeah, he's probably got more than three. <laughs> <laughs> he actually goes to gun shows. He lives there. <laughs> as, as Lori probably would say... Uh, he comes to her house to visit her once in a while. And we have a grandson now who is an archer. Oh, yes, Jack. Yes, his first tournament, he placed third from all the schools, I think, around in his district and uh, did very well. He is very good. He's uh, also uh, a very good marksman with his gun, too. He takes that after his mother and his father. His mother is a really good shot. And so is my other daughter, Chelsea. Yeah, she's good, too. And my son's excellent. So, and I'm I'm not too good. I'm more afraid of the guns. Yeah, Sam was raised in a house that always had guns. And, in fact, we found out after we moved from North Carolina that she and one of her friends, the son of the conservation officer in charge of hunting, and uh, her friend had gotten one of his guns, and they were playing with it. And that would have been horrible if something negative would have happened. Then, of course, Joey deer hunts all the time. He got a deer this uh, this fall. And John is not a hunter. Kim is not a hunter. So it's Chelsea and Kelly, I guess, and uh, Joey and Sam. They're not hunters. They're just good marksmen. See, did you find out about Anthony Mason, anything about Anthony? It says... He joined CBS News as a correspondent in 1986. He was the London Bureau correspondent from 87 to 90. And then now since 91, he has been here in the U.S. He's a co-host, of course, of CBS uh, This Morning News. He has covered a lot of things, like the crisis in Egypt. He is married to Amy Dickinson. And he can to John Dickerson of CBS? I don't know. I don't see. Anthony Mason, he's an American professional. Oh, that's a, that's a basketball player. <laughs> that's not him. I thought, no, that's not him. He was born the, uh, June 23rd, 1956. He's 64 years old. Lives in New York. Has three children. It says his spouse, Amy Dickerson, 1986 to 1990, and then it lists Christina Ann Unhawk, but it doesn't say if he's married to her or what it is. He got a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Morning Program. He went to Georgetown University. What did he major in at Georgetown? I don't know. It doesn't say. Well, we like him, and he is very 
seems like very musically astute. I like him very much. I love the whole uh, CBS morning team. I really like him. I like Gail King. She's really, I'd love to know her background. And uh, then Tony, the other young Jim, and of course our very favorite is Vlad. It's kind of like how the guy became famous on MSNBC News that gave all the statistics. Mm -hmm. You know, how all of a sudden he just became star of the election, giving all his reports and everything. Steve Wernicke, the MSNBC statistician. Uh, Tony DiCopo uh, is the kind of interviewer that makes sure that he stays with a question until he gets an answer. Of course, the statistician who was such a brilliant star for, I think it was MSNBC. I do know that Tony DiCopo is married to uh, one of the reporters. Katie Turr, CNN. Well, we've got a lot of researching to do. You're going to charge off into the grass in your backyard, work in that area. As we uh, have the countdown to Christmas, I'm going to put the stamps on all the letters for our Christmas letters and get those in the mail and see if the postmen can do their yeoman job like they did with the ballots uh, during this last election. Tip of the hat to the post office, to Patty Ann Stockdale and all the letter carriers that are out there doing the great job. I'm impressed with the post office. I love them to death. Well, you do a lot of dealing with them with uh, all Sam's mail and... And the golf tournament. So that's it. Thank you, my love, on this uh, beautiful morning in southern Arizona where every three minutes on television they stop for the weather. Oh, yes, there might be a change. (laughs) Hasn't been for 20 years. (laughs) And whenever it rains, they close everything down. So have a great one, darling. I love you. I love you, too. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.